trust your instincts. You were given instincts for a reason. Anytime that little person on your shoulder starts saying, you need to look at this, well, you need to look at it because your instincts are there for a reason. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by CBRE. CBRE is a global leader in real estate operations, providing solutions to the world's largest energy, oil, and gas companies. CBRE supports their clients' facilities both upstream and downstream without compromising safety by delivering strategies that optimize operations, reduce costs, and risk. Unlock the power of your energy, oil, and gas portfolio with CBRE. Learn more at www.cbre.com forward slash EOG. All right, I actually have a review. It's five stars from Miguel Orlan here in the U.S. The title is like inside of baseball, but for oil and gas. Nobody gets the inside scoop on oil and gas executives like Paige. Sometimes sober, sometimes hilarious, but always an enjoyable listen. Thank you so much, Miguel. If you're interested in getting your hands on some OGGN laptop hard hat stickers, check out the show for a 10-second survey and reach out to Audrey Zen and she'll get those shipped out to you. Okay, let's get into it. I'm sitting here today with RJ Burr, President and Chief Executive Officer of Panther Exploration. Welcome to the show, RJ. Let's discuss how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Well, (laughs) it's nice to be with you, Paige. I was one of those guys that I was fortunate. Some kids get to grow up watching their dads practice law or practice medicine. I got to grow up watching my dad in, in oil and gas. He had me on location first time when I was seven years old. I was hooked. Graduated high school. Funded my first partnership, started three months out of, after graduation, and haven't looked back. And so this is something, this is, heck, this is what we've always done. I'm third generation in oil and gas. And now one of the things that has changed over the years is, well, when I first got in the business, just kind of in the evolution through growing up in oil and gas, when I first got in the business, my dad wore pretty much every hat you could in the business. He was the chief bottle washer. He, didn't, he headed the sales. He headed the geological side. He headed everything we did. And when I first got in the business, we realized real quick that to run a successful company and to thrive in this industry, it's hard to do it when one guy has to do everything. And so what we did is we split the business up into really two sides. The first side is the funding and the management side. And if you cannot fund your programs and if you cannot effectively manage your operations, you're always going to be at the mercy of somebody who can and you're in trouble. Now, the other side of the business is the field operations and the geological side. If you can't find the oil and you can't effectively produce that oil, once again, you're in trouble and you're always going to be at somebody else's mercy. And so when I went in the business, that's the side of the business I went into. My first day at the office, my dad sat me down, put a big phone book in front of me and set a phone down. I said, have fun. (laughs) I started smiling and dialing. And that was how I cut my teeth in the business is just talking to individuals from coast to coast. And really selling the hardest thing on the planet to sell, that's an oil and gas drilling program. Something you can't touch, taste, feel, smell. I mean, it's uh, you're selling a dream. 
And when my brother, I, I really, I don't think my brother made it to the office until he was like 24, 25 years old. Oh, really? Because as soon as he got in the business, we put him straight in the field. And so that's what we did the, really our first 20 years in the business. Now, our beginning of our oil life or what we have, we've come to call our first life in oil, that ended here about 12, 13 years ago when Marathon Oil came in and bought my family company. We had had some tremendous success. We were partnered with Marathon on some wells. Oh, they wanted to drill the wells that we financially just didn't make sense for us to do it where we were at as a company. Looking back on it, we realized they godfathered us. They basically came in and made an offer we couldn't refuse and they bought the entire company. So that here, I'm in my mid thirties at that point. It sent us into early retirement and it didn't take me long to realize that I wasn't going to play on the PGA tour. <laughs> and so, you know, you just go stir crazy. So at one night I'm sitting talking to my dad and my brother and we're talking about it and each one of us were feeling the same way and it was time to get cranked up again. So that's exactly what we did. In fact, this July is our six year anniversary from opening Pan X, which is Panther Exploration. Congratulations. That brings us up to about six years ago and now... If you would have asked me six years ago, if we would be where we're sitting today, chances are I couldn't have projected that. We've gone leaps and bounds on what I thought we would do. Not saying it was lucky, but we made some right decisions. And then we were fortunate in some areas. You know, we saw some things coming and we're able to take advantage of. Very good. Very good. So maybe explain what Panex does to those that are not in the industry. Okay. Well, what we do is we acquire, consolidate, and develop American oil reserves. Now, up until we were discussing earlier, Paige, up until a couple of years ago, to acquire the amount of reserves that you need to reach the major oil and gas company market, the 100 million market cap, to do that, there's only two ways to do it. You can either drill it and find it yourself, or you can buy it from somebody somebody else who's already found it. Now, to develop that much oil on your own was next to impossible. You know, they might find something new that we hadn't looked for, but most of your spindle tops have been found. So going that route to build significant reserves is very difficult. Now, on the other hand, to buy them from somebody who's already found them, up until that point, that too is difficult because those companies knew what they had. And so you're going to pay a good price for that oil. And so that was really how the world set when President Trump came into office. That was how oil was. And whether you like him or not, what he did, because up until that point, OPEC pretty much controlled the price of oil, OPEC and OPEC plus. Well, when we increased our production as much as we did, all of a sudden he shook the foundation of the power in the oil industry up. And what we saw coming, really, when you think about it, for lack of a better term, it was an economic war against the shale industry. Mm -hmm. We saw Russia and Saudi Arabia flooding the market with oil, pushing the price down, because most of these companies, most of these shales companies, they need at least $50 to pay all their bills. And so all of a sudden, if you push that price down to $40, $45, these companies are in trouble. And now the dirty little secret is Russia and Saudi Arabia need 50 a barrel also. However, we were betting that they thought they could outlast the shale companies. And so that's really the dynamic of what we saw coming six, you know, five, six years ago. Now, what happened, the trigger was completely different. The trigger was Corona. All of a sudden, what we thought would take 12 to 18 months to play out got crunched down into 30 days. So all of a sudden, now, here's where knowing the oil industry and knowing the American oil industry was very beneficial to us. If you went out to the average American and just asked them to name an oil company, they're going to name Exxon. They're going to name Chevron. They're going to name one of the major companies. Now, just because those companies are based in America 
doesn't really mean they're American companies. At this point, they're international companies. Now, they have no problem with them. They have to do what they have to do. They're beholden to their stockholders. However, that doesn't really have an impact on domestic production. When you look at domestic production in the United States, 83% of your oil and 90% of your gas is produced by roughly 9,000 independent companies that average 12 employees or less. That is your true American oil industry. And so when that crash happened, yes, your majors could withstand that crash. Right. Yeah. You know, it hurt them, but they could withstand it. The companies that took the brunt of that crash were your independent producers domestically. And really, you had two waves that got knocked out. The first wave was April 20th, 2020, when the prices crashed. The companies that were underwater or on shaky financial ground to begin with, boom, they were gone, out of business in the front door. Well, the next wave happened a couple of months later. Those were the companies that were larger companies. But when we sent all the workers home for COVID, your companies that could pay their employees more than the government to work got their employees back to the field. Your companies that couldn't make that payment, there was your next wave that were wiped out. And so all of a sudden, now you had conditions in the oil patch that hadn't been present in 50, 60 years. Now you had a chance to make acquisitions and consolidate American oil like at no point in my life. And so when that happened, we were kind of, it was three years ago, we were sitting there, the crash happened. You know, we had our moment of, oh, damn. But then we had it. Okay, guys, this is what we thought was going to happen anyway. Just because the trigger was different doesn't mean the results were different. Right. And so at that point, everybody else was pretty much pulling their sales in. We spread ours out and we started making acquisitions. Now, for somebody who's never invested in oil and somebody that really doesn't know who we are or what we do, what I would tell you to do is go to panx.us slash learn. We put that page together specifically for people that have never invested with us. That way, you can sit down. We have Oil & Gas 101, and you can build a foundational knowledge of oil, what we look for when we're drilling prospects, what the products are, just a general knowledge of oil and gas. And then we have Oil & Gas 102 that explains the tax side of it. We have several videos that just kind of explain who we are, what we look for, where we've been walking. But panx.us slash learn is the perfect place to begin building your knowledge base. Yeah. Because what we've been able to do in these last three years is we've been able to consolidate what we've acquired roughly 23 different acquisitions. We've consolidated what we believe about to be about 100 million barrels of oil equivalent. And heck, all we're doing now is going to develop that oil. And during this time, we're continuing our acquisitions. Now, for the average investor, how you get involved in these things? Heck, it's drilling programs. We have equity offerings. I mean, it's really... We look at what our partner base needs are. Some partners need tax benefits and like drilling programs. And so we'll put together drilling programs. Some partners like a little more safety and like an equity type deal. So we'll put together a stock or a bond program where we can take care of them on equity side. But the main thing is it, it, right now, it really doesn't matter what we can do for you economically. I could sit here and spout off great returns, tremendous numbers. We're through the roof. You can talk to every referral. I mean, I can do that. But until you see that we're the kind of people you want to do business with first, until you see that me, RJ Burr, my brother, Justin, my family, why we're the kind of people that you want on your team. Now, once you see that we're who you want on your team, at that point, now we can talk financial about what we can do. We'll show you the ups, the downs, the in-betweens. This is your money we're talking about. And so we want to make sure our partners know exactly what they're saying yes or no to 
before they make that decision. You know, we owe it to you to do that. Are y'all strictly onshore or do you also do offshore? For the most part, we're onshore. But what our goals are now, I was sitting down talking to my brother here. Oh, wow. It's probably about eight, nine months ago now. We were talking about what we were going to do. I said, Bo, well, Justin, we, we called him Bo since he was a kid. I said, Bo, we're sitting in a position right now where we don't have to do a thing. We can continue to drill wells like we're drilling. Right now, we have anywhere from 100 to 200 direct offsets to develop this field. Okay. I said, so we can keep doing what we're doing right now for the next 20, 25 years, make our partners plenty of money, we can make plenty of money, and we'll leave plenty of oil left for the kids when we're long gone. I said, we don't have to do a thing and we can keep doing that. I said, but you and I both know we're going to do that anyway. Why don't we take what we're doing right here? This is a, we've already hit our grand slam. We've already built a tremendous foundation. Let's see how big we can build this thing. Because there hasn't been a major oil and gas company built strictly off American oil in almost 40 years. Huh. I haven't thought about that. There's been one, but it was when two companies merged. I forget their name. I remember reading about it here two or three years ago. And so when you look at that, now there's an opportunity. Because what we've also learned over the last three years is that if a country doesn't control its food, its medicine, or its energy, somebody else does and you're in trouble. Well, we can't do anything about food or medicine. I, that's not in my purview of knowledge. However, energy, that's what we do know. And so somebody is going to come out and consolidate all this oil. Somebody is going to come out and do it. May as and, well be and in my you. mind, yeah, might as well be people who actually care about what happens to it. You know, this is something that I've been doing this my entire life. And now is an opportunity to do something that not many people can say they've had a chance to do. Really, when you look back over American history and you look at all of the economic crises that have happened, in every situation, there was a group of people that came out the other side looking like geniuses. And when you string their stories together, there's really two common characteristics that they have. The first is that when the crisis happened, they had cash in hand. They were liquid and could do something. The second is when the opportunity presented itself, they had the courage to push their chips in the middle of the table and gamble. That's the root of everything that has been great when it comes to what we do as a country. And what we saw and what we now, how is this story going to end? I don't know. If you shoot for the moon and there's shoot for the stars and you hit the moon, is that a bad thing? If you're shooting to build an Exxon and you get three quarters of the way up the hill, well, you still built a pretty daggone big company. But I know that we're able to do something that not a lot of people can do. And there are some tremendous companies out there. I would not diminish anybody's work. I'm sure there are some great oil and gas companies. All I can do is speak for what we do, speak for our crew, speak for the fields that we're developing and our strategies. Why well, I think we have just a tremendous path in front of us. The only reason we won't get where we want to go is if we can't do the work to get there. Right. Yeah. All right, RJ, let's get into leadership. What is leadership to you? Well, it's various things. It's being or coming early and staying late. You know, the old adage, there's a reason that old sayings are old is because there's truth to them. Otherwise, there wouldn't be old sayings. It's making the hard decisions. But more importantly, I think it's being honest and where people know what to expect from you. You know how when, you know, I'm an open book. When people walk in my office, they know if I'm going to be happy or angry about a conversation. And so just being consistent, you know, I tell my kids, I had my son ask me, I got two boys, one's 22 and one's 20. We were talking about success. And they said, dad, what's the key? And I said, well, there are three of them. So the first one is to work hard. The second is to work harder. 
And the third is to work the hardest. I said, if you have the skill, everything else will take care of itself. But you have to have a burning, uncontrollable desire to succeed or you're not going to be able to climb that hill. Because to be successful, it's not easy. You know, some people look into stuff. I'm not naive. I'll acknowledge that. But in most cases, success is disguised in hard work and sacrifice and doing the right thing and missing kids' little league games and missing dinner with the family because you have work you have to do. And all of a sudden you look up and you've built a life and you've built a successful life. Now, how do you measure that? Is it monetary? Is it emotional? You know, however you measure your success, that's up to you. I'm not who am I to argue with you over what you determine success. I know what I determine success to be. You know, then that's what leadership is. It's setting a goal and leading by example. Very good. Yeah. What is an example, other than COVID, obviously, of a difficult experience you've had as a leader? Okay. Actually, it, it is a, it's the best and the worst all wrapped up in one. So I'm 24 years old, 25 years old, and we're drilling at that point. It's the biggest well we've ever drilled. It's a 6,000-foot vertical well with a 6,000-foot horizontal well leg to it. We were 50-50 partners with a gentleman on it. Our part of it was $4 million. And so like good little soldiers, we go out there and we raise the four million. I mean, it's, I work for a brokerage firm at that point and, you know, I'm just, I'm pounding the phone just like everybody else selling oil. And so we get it raised and go out, drill the well and it's complete dry hole. Not, not enough oil or gas to change in your car. We're gutted, you know, but you know, if we do what we do. We call all of the partners, tell everyone on the spot died. Other than your tax benefits, we'd lost every dime you sent to us. And so we get through the partner base. We've told everybody we ripped the bandaid off. Then. About two weeks later, our partner on it, our 50-50 partner on it, called us and said, hey, Marathon Oil just bought my 50% out. They're coming to you next. And so I can remember sitting in my dad's office and we're talking about it. He kind of looked at us and said, guys, if we just drilled a dry hole and they came and bought Mr. Bridges out, they know something we don't know. Yeah, they should Let's do. roll the dice. And so when Marathon called us, we wouldn't sell. We said, here's what we'll do. We'll put up 50% of the money. We'll drill the well with you, but you do it. Go drill the well, go operate the well, go be marathon. We'll just put up half the money. And so here at 24, 25 years old, now we turn around and we have to call every one of those partners that we just lost $4 million and tell them what happened and say, look, we're drilling this well and we had to offer it to you first before we offered it to anybody else. Every partner but two picked up their position. Now, when, when we drilled the first well, we went down, and I believe we went out northwest. Well, Marathon came down, twinned our vertical, and went completely opposite of the direction we went. We hit a well that came in producing, I think it was 7, 8 million cubic feet of gas a day. It paid the first 4 million off in like nine months, paid the second 4 million off in 16 or 17 months and produced at those levels for five or six years. We went out and drilled, I think, another eight or nine wells with them that were similar results. I mean, it was just, it, it was tremendous. And really when Marathon purchased a family company, they came back and said, what we want to do is they wanted to take those wells down to about 18,000 feet. And when you looked at the daily production on it, they were really doing it for the bookable reserves, not necessarily daily production. Ah. And when we looked at it, now we funded our programs differently than Marathon. And so when we looked at it, we said, whoa, hang on. 
This will take us 20 years to get our partner's money back to them. They'll skin us alive over that. And so that was why we turned it down. We said, no, we can't do it. They came in and, you know, basically sent us into early retirement. And so that is the best and the worst and wrapped up in one moment. Huh. So what's the most rewarding thing about being a leader? To watch your team take a foundational principle that you kind of laid down and to watch them utilize it when interacting with the partners. I guess it's kind of being a dad. I'll explain it this way. I love it when one of my kids come up and box close me. I love it when one of my kids come up and make a presumptive close on me. Hey, dad, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Just little things that, you know, it's selling because look, whether you want, anybody wants to admit it or not, everything in life is selling. You're either selling or you're being sold on a daily basis to try to prepare your kids for that. That's the world you live in. You know, I tell them one thing, look, if you're debating somebody, the minute they bring up, I feel you won because facts don't care how you feel. Yeah. I said, now, does that mean you're going to win the argument at that point? No. If that person that feels has more emotion, more gruff, if they can overpower you with their feeling, yeah, you could lose that argument. But fundamentally, the facts did not lose that argument. Personality won that argument. So just remember, there are, facts don't care how you feel. It is what it is. Now, you deal with it. Prime example, when it comes to leading, I was talking to my 20-year-old. He's, I'd say, 10 years old at this point. And this kid ended up going to, oh, they made it to the Little League World Series the next year. Awesome. I was talking to him, and he was all mad. He struck out one time. And I looked at him. I said, son, let me ask you this. When that pitcher throws that ball in the outside corner, can you determine whether the ump's going to call it a ball or a strike? He said, no. I said, well, you can't, can you? I said, now, if he throws it right down the middle of the plate, can you control whether you swing at it or not? He said, yeah. I said, then don't worry about what the ump's doing. You cannot control that. Wait till he throws you one over the plate and then take it upon yourself to hit it. Control what you can control and everything else will take care of itself. And if you kind of apply that to everything you do, you know, if you have a problem in life, ask yourself at that moment, is there anything I can do right now to solve that problem? And if there is, do it. But if there's not, at that point, you could worry all day long. And you know what? When you're done worrying, you're going to be right back where you were when you started worrying. And so if you've done everything you can do, then don't worry about it. Place it in God's hand. He'll take care of it. And when the opportunity to fix it comes up, then address it. And so we try to make things way too complicated. Yeah. Great perspective. If you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be? Trust your instincts. You were given instincts for a reason. Anytime that little person on your shoulder starts saying, you need to look at this, well, you need to look at it because your instincts are there for a reason. That'd be the number one advice. And then if I gave anybody else advice, find something you love doing that you can make a living doing and work harder than anybody else around. That's how you become successful. Very good. Very good. What book influenced you the most? Think and Grow Rich. I read it when I was probably 16, 17. Now, I would say Atlas Shrugged also, but that's a heavy read. I mean, to suggest somebody to read that, gear up because you're going to be reading for a while. (laughs) But if you're going to read something that had a profound impact on me, you know, really when it comes to philosophy wise, Think and Grow Rich, because it basically taught me the main points I pulled from it were while it's vital to know what you're good at, it's more important to know what you're not good at. Yeah. Than hire somebody who is. You're right. Exactly. You know, and so there were more applicable lessons I learned from Think and Grow Rich. However, 
when it comes to just foundational philosophical knowledge, well, Atlas Shrugged, I, I believe it should be required reading for every senior in high school. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say is your most used business tool? Oh, my phone. Pretty much my phone and my computer. Anything when it comes technologically, whether it's videos, whether it's emails, whether it's text, but talking is where I've made my living for over 30 years now. And so, you know, anytime my partners need something, they have my cell phone. I give one guarantee. If you call me and by chance I don't answer, I'll call you before I go to bed that night. Because like I said earlier, this is their money. A lot of people in this business, they forget that in every investment industry. Doesn't matter whether you're stocks, bonds, mutual funds, doesn't matter. If you raise money in that industry, there are a lot of people that take for granted that you work for the partner, not the other way around. Everything we've done in our life, everything we've done with this company has been because of the faith our partners placed in us. They put their hard-earned money with us. That's not something that's come by easily. Most people had to bust their tails to get where they're at. And when somebody has faith in you and your family and they place their hard-earned money with you, well, now I owe you everything I have. Now, if everything's good, great. If it's bad, I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to leave no stone unturned. And when it's all said and done, I will be the hardest working employee that you've ever hired because that's what you deserve. Your money has earned that. Like I said, I know it didn't come easily. Now, it just happens we're pretty good at what we do. It just so happens that we're in an industry where we're making our partners a lot of money. And so we're very fortunate. We could, <laughs> there are a lot of people in a lot worse position. You know, yeah. I'm sitting here, I was listening to an interview the other night and they were talking about gold currencies and gold backed currencies versus, you know, where oil sits in the place in the world. And they were talking about the amount and the dollar amount and the volume. And you just look at the value that oil holds worldwide. And well, like we talked earlier, if you can't control your energy, you're in trouble. Now, America has a lot of it. As long as they keep trying to convince people not to do it, <laughs> we're going to keep buying it. Because when that illusion busts and all of a sudden everybody realizes that we're not going anywhere without oil, well, the ones that own the oil are going to be sitting in a pretty strong position. That's really what people are starting to really snap to. You know, because up until now, anytime you looked at a problem, anytime you looked at something causing a day to day problem in somebody's life, well, once it gets into your day-to-day -day life, now you come. You have to find a solution to that problem. Well, when it comes to energy and all that, it's been so cheap for so long, people don't realize how much every aspect of our life is dependent on that price of energy. And then when you look at historically, you measure a country's standard of living by how much oil they consume daily. The average American consumes over two and a half gallons of oil a day. From clothing to makeup to shampoo to insecticides to medicines to plastics to the list goes on and on. 6,000 products from one barrel. Then you look at the other first world country. They average roughly worldwide 1.6 gallons a day. And then you look at the third world countries that are averaging roughly 0.3 gallons per day. 50% of the world's production is consumed by 17% of the population. 83% of the world's population is just now beginning to use oil. You just look at the numbers. I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm just a good old boy from Bowling Green, Kentucky. I just happen to be in a business that I love, and so I pay attention to it. I'm a firm believer that God, my dad, and really, I look at uh, politically, you know, Rush Limbaugh, they influenced me more than anybody. And one of the things that Rush taught is that the education never stops. 
And so you sit down and you look through stuff and when you understand it, it's not complicated. Well, especially in this industry, it continues to evolve. Yeah, well, I mean, we consume too much oil. We don't produce enough. We're not making adequate investment to replace that oil. There's nothing to replace the oil with. And you've had a good percentage of the independent producers in America knocked down. That's what all came together, has been coming together. Somebody's going to take advantage of this moment and start putting it all together. And then you look at, you look at where are you going to put your money? You know, what, what does everybody feel comfortable with right now? What are you going to back? Now, if we were out looking for the oil, and please don't think that I'm saying there's no speculation. This is oil and gas. If anybody ever tells you that it's easy, they're lying to you. We'll miss wells. That's not what I'm saying. However, we're not looking for the oil. The field, the lands that we own, we already have the geological structures of these lands. We know what's there. So if we were looking for it and out there gambling every time we were drilling, wondering if the oil was there, that'd be a completely different story. But when I talked to my partners, I said, look, if you're going to put your money and just basically park it somewhere, why would you not park it in oil? It's going to give you about as true a value as you can get because the world demands it. That's not going away. And then half the population wants it for free. And the other half of the population wants it a million dollars a barrel. So Uh you have two equally opposing forces pulling on every barrel of oil. If somebody at one area wants to gouge you, well, you can go half a mile down the road and buy it from somebody else at a proper price. And eventually that guy gouging you is going to be out of business. I said, so you have a pretty fair balanced price of what it's going to be worth. So why not just park it there? To take us a couple of years to produce it out, all of a sudden you put a dollar in, said, hey, you come look back. If we're really good at what we're doing, 15 years later, that dollar's turned into $5 and it's still growing. You know, So it's just, you take advantage of the situation that's in front of you. And right now, it's time for those that are aggressive to start acquiring these reserves because it's not a sprint. This is a marathon. Once we acquire these, most of these wells we drill, they'll last anywhere from 10, 15 to 20 years. We got several that'll last more than 30 years. We got one with over 311 feet of sand and 12 different pay zones. Mm. You know, so I mean, these wells will produce for a long time. Yeah. Like I said, we know that there's enough people out there. And I was talking to one of my partners earlier this week. He said, why are you trying to expand the partner base? I said, because it's simple. To build the kind of company we want to build, we need to expedite the development of this field. The only way to expedite the development of this field is to expand the number of people that are involved in this field. Now, if this field didn't have enough oil to take care of that many people, no, we wouldn't do it. But the fact of the matter is, if we're right here, it's $70 oil, we're sitting on, what, six, seven billion in reserves. We think it's going to take us about two, three hundred million to develop the entire thing. Well, what are we going to build on top of that? Because we want to keep acquiring. We're at the point now where we can utilize our reserves to acquire more reserves. Prime example, we have a section of land here from 10 to 15,000 feet that geologically it looks about there's anywhere from 20 to 30 million barrels of oil down there. Well, personally, I really don't want to drill 10 to 15,000 foot wells. I will. I have before. I'm not really sweating it, but that's not my bailiwick. Well, just because we don't want to drill them, does that mean that it's not there? You know, so what we'll do, we have partners who own percentages of other fields that we are interested in, and they're interested in 10 to 15,000 feet. All of a sudden, hey, you drill these, keep a piece of them, or, and we'll keep a piece of them. We'll drill yours, and you can keep a piece of them. Yeah. Now we utilize our reserves to build reserves. And so it's just, we've been fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and make the proper steps. Now, like I said, will it continue going? 
I don't know, life's been hell since my crystal ball broke. (laughs) All I can do is every night I'll tell my boys and my girls this. Then look, if you want to know where you're at in life, every night when you go to bed, when you brush your teeth, look yourself in the mirror. If you're happy with who you're looking at, you're doing good. Keep doing it. But you're going to know. Yeah. Not many people can lie to that person looking at them in the mirror. As long as you're honest about what you're doing, hey, we could fall off a cliff tomorrow. But I know today it looks like we got the tiger by the tail and we're going to keep climbing this hill. And we'd love for people to come and just look at it. Like I said, panx.us slash learn is the perfect place to start. By the time you get through with that, with all that information, you'll know whether you want to keep talking to us or not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so keep talking about partners. Let's talk about the latter. Who's your most respected competitor? You know, I would say pretty much every independent producer out there. That's fair. You know, because they do the unsung work. Because here's the big misnomer about oil. Everybody looks at oil and they think of, you know, at least the older generations, they think of J.R. Ewing in Dallas. They think of big millionaire mansions and all that. When in truth, most oil companies, and there's nothing academic that you can back this up with. This is just being in the business as long as I have, just kind of a philosophy I've built on the industry. Most companies, when they start, they're doing what we call chasing oil. Meaning we have a group of people, they want to drill a well, so they raise some money, they find a prospect, they go out and drill it. Well, for the vast majority, I'd say over 99% of the companies, that's it right there. They miss the well, they can't raise any more money, they're out of business. Well, for that small percentage that hit that well, they found what we call job security. And their job is secure for as long as they have wells to develop around that first well. Now, while they're developing that field, they'll be looking for other wells. Well, when they're done with that development, they leapfrog to the next one. Well, for the vast majority of those companies, that's the end of it also. They can never find that second field. And so they're out of business once everything runs out of steam. Well, your fortunate ones find that next one. Well, a successful oil man looks back 40, 50 years later. He's found 5, 10, maybe 15 of these lily pads. He's been successful. He's made his partners a tremendous amount of money. His family's made a lot of money. They produced a lot of oil. He's been a successful producer. However, he spent his entire career chasing oil. And what I mean by that is he had to produce everything he had to keep his engine going. There was nothing there left at the end. That's where the vast majority of these independent companies live their lives. It's hard. It's stressful. It's day by day. I mean, it's a churn. And that's why I respect them so much. Because when it comes to jumping to the second stage, which is probably, I believe that's the rarest occurrence in oil. Uh Jumping from the chasing oil to what we call the producing oil stage. Because when you reach the producing oil stage, now there's a couple of differences. The first one is when you are drilling wells, it doesn't mean that you're going to hit every well. However, when you're drilling the wells, you have geological indicators that tell you the oil's there before you get there. If you get to total depth, you should put those wells into production. Yes. That's one part. Now, the second part is you have acquired enough reserves that you can utilize those reserves to acquire more, just like we're doing with our ten to 15,000 foot pay sands. Right. And so when it comes to really, when it comes to sales, there are really three factors involved for me and any partner will ever do business. The first factor is the partner's responsibility, and that's the money. I can't tell them how much they have, and I can't tell them how much they can invest. Now, if they're in a financial position where they can invest in oil, terrific. We'll check that box, and we'll move forward. We deal with accredited investors. We're on a 506C. And so that's third-party verification. But if the partner's good with money, we check that, and I don't worry about that fact. 
Right. The two factors that are my responsibility, first and foremost, is who we are. Like I was telling you earlier, regardless of what I could do for you financially, until you see that we're the kind of people that you want on your team, it's irrelevant. Now, why do I mention that here? Because when you look at making that jump from chasing oil to producing oil and how rare it is, now, you don't want to sound like a braggart, but you need to know who we are. This is the second time my family's done it. Yeah. First time was when Marathon Oil bought our family company. Right. Well, that time doesn't touch this time in what we've done. Because with the land we've acquired and with the reserves we already put back, there's no telling where all this is going to go. And so when you put the whole picture together, you know, like I said, life's been crazy since my crystal ball broke. But I know that we've built a foundation that I would love for anybody to look at because hey, <laughs> I love winning for people. You know, when, when I quit playing ball, I figured out how you keep scores, how much money you make people. And yeah. that's one of the things that I love open competition. And so we go hard and we come early, we stay late. Like I said, we do what we, st- we, do what we tell you what we're going to do. Perfect. Perfect. So what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Do what you say you're going to do. You do the right thing. So many times when you're younger, you react emotionally on stuff that as you get older, you don't necessarily react with as much outward emotion. That doesn't mean you're not fired up. However, you win the argument differently as you get older. And what I mean by that is when you're young, you get fired up and you might yell at somebody and you feel awesome at that moment because you said what needed to be said. However, did you really win in that moment? You know, you might have won that battle to lose the war. However, when you sit down and you think through a process and you meticulously go one, two, three, four, and five will be the result. And it plays out like that. Man, that is so much more satisfying. Yeah. You know, and so... I don't know. I get on these philosophical soapboxes <laughs> and you, my kids said, dad, you need to start a podcast and just said, Jay, thanks. And just when I get one of my random thoughts, you know, Hey squirrel. And <laughs> yeah, no, I think you'd be a great podcaster. <laughs> no, y'all are too good at it. Y'all oh. are too good at it. <laughs> Thank I you. wouldn't want to compete. That's not an area that I'm sure I'd be able to compete in. I have a few too many old cuss words in my dialogues. Oh, (laughs) yeah, I do too. It's just I don't say I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how could your role now be important to the future of this industry? And I think you've kind of touched base on that already. Well, I mean, that really depends on what your goals are. I was at CPAC earlier this year up in D.C. And this kid from PBS came up to me and said, who do you want to win in 24? And I kind of looked at him and I said, well, it really depends on what me you ask. He said, huh? I said, well, if you ask the oil me, I want Biden them to win. He said, why? I said, because they're going to keep attacking oil. They're going to keep driving away. They're going to keep ESG scoring. They're going to keep pushing people away from oil. And while they're doing that, I'm going to keep buying. And I'm going to set up not only me, my family, my kids, their families, their kids' families. I'm going to set up for hundreds of my partners a well stream that they're not going to believe 15, 20 years from now. Yeah. I said, so if you ask my oil side, that's what I'm going to tell you. So now if you ask my American side and the guy that has to live every day, just like everybody else, I want the other side because hopefully that'll bring sanity back. And once again, this isn't about President Trump, but one thing he did understand is he understood that you had to keep oil price such 
where the oil companies were incentivized to drill, but it didn't kill the consumer. Right. And yeah. so he understood that. You right. Well, he's also a businessman. So. Yes. And so you can't crush the price to $20, $25 a barrel when it cost us 40 to produce it. Yeah. That's just the math doesn't work. But as long as you do the math, one plus one will always equal two. When it does, trust it. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about telling someone about this industry that doesn't understand the industry? Oh, I have no problem. I just tell them to look around. Every direction they look will have a product of oil in, in line of sight. Yeah. Unless you're out in the middle of nowhere in the woods and, you know, come on, let's, I understand the parameters, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. for the most part, everybody looks around, you're going to see something that has oil on it or have something in your possession that has oil on it. That's the main thing I want to see happen is I want to see people start understanding and really, and you don't say this to be mean, but understand what is, don't, you know, you hear people say, don't take my word for it. Look it up on your own. Well, I did. If I can do it, anybody can. Uh huh. Like I said, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm just a good old boy from Kentucky who's, who's got a boatload of common sense and I love <laughs> reading and I love American history. The greatest story ever told is American history. I mean, you look at the things that had to happen. To us become a country? I mean, what are the odds? Statistically, I'm not a statistician, but statistically, what are the odds that that many brilliant people were put together in one place in time when you had horse and ox as your transportation, boats, torchlight, that many people to write what probably the second most important written document in human history? What are the odds of that being of that happening? You know, so you say people don't want to say we're a Christian. Well, just look at the divine nature of how we became a country. Things happen that shouldn't have happened, and they did. And you can say, oh, it's just a coincidence, or you can actually believe what actually happened. There's a reason for all of this. And I don't know, once again, I love history, and I love if people would understand what's going on. It's so easy. Somebody asked me the other day, said, well, who are you more afraid of, Democrats or rhinos? And I said, well, easily rhinos. I said, because a Democrat, you know what they're going to do. Is a boxer, if I know you're going to go jab right hand, well, I can plan for jab right hand and counter. Where you can't counter is when somebody stabs you in the back at the most least opportune moment. So all you can really do is identify them and remove them from behind you. And so it's just one of those that if people just looked at it, it makes sense. It's not right or left. It's just traditional who we are. And it breaks your heart that a lot of people have forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a favorite podcast? Cures. Oh, gas industry leaders. <laughs> of course. Trying to make me blush over here. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to several. I'm typically working during the day so much that I'll have typically Real America's Voice running on in the background. Okay, cool. I'm on the phone for most of the day. So I just kind of, you know, I couldn't do with it being absolutely quiet in here. And, and hell, every now and then there's something interesting that pops on. But normally I typically do my news reading at night or first thing in the morning. And then once I crank up and get to work, it's work time. Yeah, no, understood. Understood. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, RJ. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about panics, how might they go about doing so? You can email me, rjburr at panics.us. Or as I said a minute ago, you can go to panx.us slash learn, and that's where you can download Oil & Gas 101, the foundations of oil. You can download Oil & Gas 102, the tax side of oil. Just start building your knowledge on what we're doing. And if we can help you, 
look forward to talking with you, answer any questions you have. Like I said, this is your money we're talking about. And if you're not 100% comfortable with who we are or what we're doing, I'll be the first one to tell you to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.